Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. The Defender ST is a brand new micro red dot from Vortex Optics. You need to check it out for this turkey season. I just got my hands on one of these bad boys. It's a three MOA dot, super low profile red dot sight that weighs just 1.5 ounces with the battery. I started running a red dot on my turkey gun a couple years ago. It really helps with sight picture. It helps me stay focused on the target and see exactly what I'm aiming at. So, you know, my shotgun bead's not covering up the whole bird. And it also makes it easier when I'm taking other people who are maybe less familiar with the shotgun. Anyone can pick up a red dot and immediately know exactly how to use it. And I especially like this one because it has a battery runtime of 25,000 hours. This is an ultra durable red dot sight with an anodized aluminum body that protects it against anything that you can throw at it in the turkey woods. And I'm highly abusive to my gear in the turkey woods, so I'm excited to have a, a beefed up, really tough red dot sight like this on my shotgun. Y'all can go check them out at vortexoptics.com. And hey, if you want to order this or any other Vortex product and get a discount, go to midwayusa.com and use the promo code southern for a discount on your order again that's promo code southern for a discount on any vortex product from midwayusa.com meadow creek mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun and one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun i personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me one thing i personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome back. To another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, I'm here with the ginger bow hunter, also now known as the cradle robber himself, Jacob Myers. Jacob, how are you doing? Ouch, dude. Man. I, t- I told oh. you, we were talking about my friend from high school, Zach. We're still good friends, still hunt a lot together. Uh, and Zach, we were talking the other day about this deer he shot in high school that was like real little, and everyone started calling him the cradle robber. And it was funny, but we were like, man, we can't call you the cradle robber anymore because you've killed bigger deer since then. And plus it's been like years and years. So now someone else has to kill a tiny deer so we can call them the cradle robber. And Jacob, you stepped up to the plate. <laughs> that I did. That I did. No, but in all seriousness though, like, I mean, it's a little deer. Who cares? It's a little doe. Went out, as, had fun. As, uh, it was a fun day. As, as Jonathan Bone would say from uh, Catman Outdoors, uh, he calls it a pocket deer. Let's put her in your pocket and walk <laughs> back to the truck. 
That's pretty good. I mean, and he's right. Talking about you, when you're skinning them, it's kind of like skinning a rabbit, like with how tender they are, like mm-hmm. how how the skin comes off real easy. Because, I mean, anybody who's ever skinned a rabbit, you know, it ain't like skinning a squirrel. Because on a rabbit, you just, you know, pull it right off there. But a squirrel, you got to like work on it for a minute. Kind of the same way with deer, except little deer, real easy to skin. Big old nasty buck, a little bit harder to get a skin off of him. But Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, it was a fun weekend. I mean, we joke about it, but I don't mind shooting a little doe. You know, some people might get all tore up about it. I don't really understand that. But, you know, it's a little doe, good meat, fun hunt. Uh, Successful weekend in my book. On camera, too, thank God. So, third one's the charm. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I'm I'm like, Jacob, come on, man. You got like a $1,500 camera. You got to kill something on film. (laughs) Man, that's what we got you for, man. I I needed a camera, man. That was the funny part of of that hunt. You know, you were supposed to be a shooter, so. Yeah, yeah. Totally stealing my thunder, you know. Dude, well, let's break down the hunt real quick, man. I mean, I know it's an intro, but. Yeah. We've got an awesome. So, uh, hold on. Before we do that. This episode is all about blood trailing and weird shots, and so we're bringing on two experts on blood trailing. Uh, both of them are houndsmen. Uh, Jacob, uh, I know you, I know you've used one of them. Have you used both of them? No, no, just uh, just have used uh, Charles. Okay, yeah. So the last doe you killed this year, you got Charles to come out there and look for it, uh, which is cool. First um, doe, yeah. The second the, doe, or yeah, the, the second doe you shot this year, you got. Charles to come get it for you, which I think that was pretty cool of you, dude, because not a lot of people would pay the money to have a, a dog track a doe, but but you did. I think that says a lot about you, bro. Yep, plus Charles, I'd say he uh, was uh, much better on his pricing than a couple other gentlemen I had talked to. Uh, some of the numbers are just kind of outrageous, but it might have been because of the time of the day and, and everything else. But yeah, man, it's a... Uh, Oh, I mean, it was good to kind of see uh, someone work a dog and be able to have a dog locate your locate your animal. Uh, so that, that was pretty cool. But other than yeah. that, man, uh, you know, everyone's going to hear about that, you know, once we talk, once we get into this episode, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of break it down and go into detail. But, dude, let's break down this week's hunt because you were freaking up here from Wednesday to Sunday and <clears throat> Tennessee was not too nice to you. Yeah, uh, we got after him hard, that's for sure. And, uh... Definitely, it was definitely a weekend characterized by Plan Bs and Plan Cs and Plan Ds, and we just got we just had to keep adjusting. So, started out, we had an idea of this area. It was where you shot your first doe. We're like, this is the area. There's a lot of deer in here. It's not getting pressured. We need to focus on that area the whole time. So that's where I spent my first day in Tennessee, and it it was hard getting in there and. I mean, there there was hardly any deer sign at all, any fresh deer sign, that is. Uh, just wasn't mm-hmm. seeing much. And then I, I think we figured out why, because I, I stopped to eat lunch on the creek bank, and there was three different sets of boot tracks. So there had been people all up in there. So kind of tossed that out the window after I spent all day in there and just found people sign. And, uh, man, the, the weekend's like the week's like a fog. I'm, I can't remember what all happened. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah, you were all sick the whole weekend, so the yeah, whole week, so. <clears throat> still am a little sick. Yep. Uh, no, but I mean, yeah, you got after it. I, I still, I still say, dude, I'm telling you, I think you could have seen and probably shot a deer if you stayed within about 200 yards of that parking lot and that spot I told you about. Just because, 
It's a spot you cannot get to from the parking lot. There's a ton of deer sign in there, or there was a ton of deer sign in there. And uh, every time I've gone in there, and deer have come out of that spot crossing into the private. So, I'll mm-hmm. probably go back in there later this week and maybe try to kill a deer. If I kill a deer in there, I'm going to rub it in your face because that's where you should have sat. <laughs> and I will deserve it. So uh, then, uh, uh, let's see. Okay, so so then day two, you were able to get out with me. And we went to the Cadillac track, and uh, we did exactly what we said we would not do. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about that for a second. So me and Andrew had, you know, after, you know, talking to Richard Fought and a couple other guys about, like, you know, feed trees and just deer activity and everything, you know, we were deciding we were going to a spot we had never been in before, just looked at the map and wanted to go and just find a hot tree that deer were feeding on. Um, you know, when, when you're hunting a whole bunch of just hardwoods and just a bunch of oaks, it's, you know, it's tricky. You can't just set up in a, in a, in a big oak flat, oak ridge or something like that and, you know, hope to have a deer come within bow range of you or even see a deer for that matter. And we kind of got a little too excited to get down there about, I guess, four or 500 yards from the, tr- from the car and um, found two persimmon trees that were dropping acorns, or dropping, not acorns, Jesus Christ. Two, two persimmon trees that were dropping. Trees that were dropping acorns. Hey, it's 2018. They don't know what they're doing right now. They identify um, as oaks. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. Very, very sweet oaks. But uh, and then one, you know, decent sized rub, and we kind of got kind of excited about thinking we knew where the deer were bedded and everything, and we had a pretty good funnel next to us um, that these deer had to kind of work around. So we kind of jumped the gun and set up way too soon. Um, another thing that probably was a factor that we kind of got out there later than probably we should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we were out there, you know, an hour, hour and a half earlier, I think we would have the patience to kind of continue to go a little bit deeper in. But yeah, dude, kind of came us, came back and bit us in the butt. Yeah, which I mean, in all fairness, we had identified this cedar thicket, which we were thinking was the bedding area, and the, these persimmon trees and the fresh rub were only, I mean, less than a hundred yards off of the edge of that bedding area. The problem was that we were kind of in a little ditch and we couldn't really see up into it, and we were sitting there discussing it. And we're like, well. You know, we could push on farther, but it's pretty risky because we think that they might be bedded, like, right there. And uh, so so we elected to set up. And when we got up there, it kind of dawned on us. We could see down in that bedding area, and it was definitely more open than we had thought. And for fear of, you know, walking up there and spooking a deer, we didn't try to go and, like, peek up and see how thick that stuff was. When, really, we should have just walked 30 yards up the hill you know, crouched behind a tree and, you know, leaned out with the binos and looked up in there. And then we could have seen, like, oh, wait, okay, this is more open than we thought it would be. Let's keep moving. Instead, we just set up and uh, didn't see much except squirrels. And we had a doe blow at us right at dark, which was nice. Or a deer. I mean, guessing it was a doe, but I had yeah. a deer blow at us at dark about 100, 100 yards away from us. Um, so that, 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 was kind of, that was kind of... The issue, you just set, we set up way, 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 way too far from bedding area, you know, in wide open oaks, you know, on the edge of what we thought was a cedar thicket, which is cedars, but they're older, they're older cedars with a pretty clear uh, ground floor. So that, that was a pretty big letdown for us. But uh, we kind of repositioned and planned for the next day and we decided to sleep in, uh, I guess, what was that, Saturday. one reason is because we had to get some footage <clears throat> on some videos done uh, for the YouTube channel. Had to take some photos for a couple different pod- for a podcasts that we did with a uh, 
another big podcaster. Uh, we had to get him some photos and just get some other stuff done. Plus, we wanted to kind of get out there and scout where people were actually set up and hunting that morning to try to figure out how we're going to hunt around the pressure. Because sometimes, guys, you got to pattern the people more so than you got to pattern the deer. Because the deer are just going to the deer are going to move into areas where the people are not. Uh, and that's kind of what we did. And I think it definitely played uh, played a huge factor in where we decided to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, scouted access that morning, drove around, got some cool footage, uh, did the pictures, and then we uh, we, we did a little gear video, which is actually going to be aired tomorrow, which is Wednesday. So by the time this episode airs, you can go check it out. It's about rope mods, uh, how to use them and everything, and, uh, and how to make them for that matter. Then for the afternoon hunt, we're like cocked, locked, and ready to rock dock. It's like 12 o'clock on the dot, and we're geared up, setting out to go into the woods. We're like, we got plenty of time. We've map scouted the piss out of this place. Now let's go in here and take our time and be careful and kill a deer. And that's just exactly what we did, although it was kind of not how we planned it at all. Yeah, and it was uh, – <clears throat> I think it was the third day of that cold front that pushed through in Tennessee. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, definitely had high hopes for the afternoon. And it was pretty cool, especially down there uh, where we had parked. It was pretty cool. And <clears throat> hiking up in there, uh, you know, definitely got excited pretty quickly just how fast we were seeing some deer sign, which you could definitely yeah. tell <clears throat> was uh, from later on in the afternoons and evenings. But uh, – yeah, dude. I mean, it, it went from, you know, seeing some sign to really not seeing much of anything. And then we started going up that ridge, man, and it just started. It I opened mean, up. So so, so exp- explain this. I'll get you to explain kind of the setting of where we were, and then I'll, I'll explain, like, what happened. So, yeah, so, so like, the habitat we were in, like, what yeah, was so the ha- so the habitat went from open um, hardwoods. Just, I don't know. What, what kind of trees were those, dude? Do you know? I mean, you're the you're the botanist. The down <clears throat> down in that big uh, river bottom we were in. Yeah. Uh, a lot of sycamores. Most of those were sycamore trees. Yeah. So I went from my like open sycamores to starting to go up the edge of the edge of this uh, big ridge. It went from that to like a kind of like a privet hedge thicket. Mixed with, I guess, cedars and some other yeah. stuff. Yeah, oak it, hickory. There's some uh, honey locust and stuff. See, see, you should be the one describing the habitat. I mean, you're the one that knows all these freaking plants. I'm just like, man, that one's green. That one's not. <laughs> Gonna <laughs> yeah, go didn't there. Think this through. <laughs> no, no, but but I mean, we get out there and just start seeing a lot of buck sign, a uh, bunch of scrapes. Found probably the biggest rub either one of us has ever found. I found um, bigger rubs. Dude, you found bear scratching, bear poles. That no, no, I found I found legit whitetail rubs. Dude, bigger than that, that. But I mean, it was still a really good rub. I mean, that's the f- biggest fresh rub I've ever found. It's that, been that laid was, down within like forty eight hours. Yeah, that was it. Was a in my opinion, it was the biggest rub I've ever seen. I mean, I could hang a tree stand in that tree probably. Um, I mean, I don't know, four probably four or five inches in diameter. Um, and just a bunch of scrapes and everything. Got up on top of the ridge. There's some oaks up there. And freaking deer sign was absolutely everywhere. Tracks, drop, like tons of droppings. I mean, you could not take a step without stepping in a pile of fresh deer crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was insane, dude. I mean, that was the first time I've ever found 
like kind of like what Richard talked about, you know, these feed trees where, I mean, it is the grounds torn up underneath them and there's literally just, there's so much deer sign. It's not even funny. And, uh, dude, you know, we got really, really excited and, uh, attempted to get up in one tree that was probably Huge. 150 years old. And, uh, even with a 11 and a half foot rope mod, uh, it would fit on the bottom of the base of the tree with about, I don't know, what was it like? couple inches of tag yeah like four or five inches of tag line yeah and then his second rope mod sticks which have nine foot straps would not even go around the tree yeah yeah so and so we're like we could make them go around the tree if we like undo the 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 knot on the other end the overhand knot and make it like tighter we could have got up there but then we're like well when we get up to the top or <clears throat> the straps for the tree stand aren't going to go around it yep exactly so that was a uh, that was an issue. Yeah, guys, sorry about me and Andrew are both sick. I freaking got all kinds of freaking sinus strange. It's horrible, but yep. we're gonna make it through. Um, so we finally decided to get in a smaller tree, much smaller tree. Um, finally, we're hanging the stands. About this time, man, I mean, we started hanging the stands at probably one forty-five, probably if I had to guess. Um, took us a little time to get up there, which uh, we weren't in the biggest rush, but. You know, me taking my, my sweet time up there hanging the sands. Uh, you know, took a little while trying to get everything situated. But <laughs> I started uh, get I got I started getting aggravated, and I was like, God, he's taking forever. So I started throwing acorns at you. Yeah, so <laughs> Andrew's being passive, passive aggressive on the ground just because. Yeah, I look up at him. I'm like, Hurry up! Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so I get my bow up there, get my backpack, um, and. What else was it? No, that was it. Yeah, bone backpack, and I started put the uh, the shoulder of the arm on, Corthero arm, and you start climbing up. You finally get up there, dude, and you like get your backpack on or whatever you know, rough strapped in, about to pull your bow up. All of a sudden, I, I hear something walking up behind us. You know, I'm facing trees off to my left. You're, uh, I guess it was my you're, right. Yeah, we, you're right. We, yeah, we look over and we both see him at the same time, and I see a leg move like right before you. You went like. Deer, 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 because that's what Jacob does every time he sees a deer. He says yeah. it forty-eight times really fast. That's how I know he's serious. I'm, I'm like a machine gun. He's like yeah. an auctioneer. He's like deer, 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 deer. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah. So this, you know, these two two does pop out and they're walking right towards. And the first one, the one I actually shot, um, but when I first saw her, she was probably. 35, 40 yards, if that. And the other one wasn't very far behind him. And uh, anyways, got kind of excited. Andrew's like trying to pull his bow up. I'm like, dude, I already got my bow up here. Get the camera out and let me shoot it. <laughs> and he's over here, you know, supposed to be the shooter and everything. So he gets the camera out. <laughs> he gets the camera out, starts filming. I like slowly am trying to grab my bow, go like underneath my tether because my bow's on the right side of the tree. Deer's on the left side of me. Um, and in that fiasco, the, the bigger the bigger the two does uh, that was in the back, she kind of like cut my movement, and she started like slipping off away from us. And uh, the other doe up front did not know really what was going on. It was just feeding, so I get my bow around and everything, and finally have her. Didn't have my range finder out, but I thought she was at twenty five yards. Um, she was broadside behind some vegetation. She finally took a step out, and I went to draw. I drew her back. She starts to turn a little bit. She's like quartering away. She stops. And in that split second when she's sitting there quartering away, stood there for a second, I go to release. 
And right when I'm like touching off, she like turns directly away from me. And follow through with the shot, shot goes off. Arrow is flying in the sound of the arrow and everything, sound of the bow going off. She like ducks just a little bit. And I'm th- I saw the arrow and I thought the arrow was like how it all happened. I thought the arrow like went in the outside of her leg and like nicked her leg or something. And I was like, you know, the second I let go, I'm like, that was absolute horrible shot. Like, uh, you know, wasn't expecting. It was amazing how much she moved at that distance because she went from being quartering away, slight quartering away to absolutely facing away from me by the time I, I released the arrow. Um, after looking over the footage, she tore out the other doe tore out of there. Looking at the footage, it looked like the arrow had slipped right between her legs and kind of looked like Mount Nictor or something and, like, you know, just ducked down and the arrow, you know, stuck in the ground. So, you know, we thought, you know, I, I missed her. Um, sat there, had a bachelor group of bucks come by, just a bunch of little freaking spikes everywhere. Uh, and they were like, a group of hens. Yep, had a group of hens with them. They were buddied up. Yeah, those so, spikes were scraping and they were like snorting at each other and uh, sparring and everything. It was pretty cool. Yeah, they put on a good show for us. Yep, cool footage. Um, and then later later on in the hunt, you know, after everything kind of died down, um, also had a guy walk up on us. Uh, actually, after I shot at that doe, not, f- I mean, five, ten minutes later, there's a guy walking up the ridge, and I catch catch him out of the corner of my eye, like 50, 60 yards. I like, wave, wave him off, and he, like, you know, went back from where he came from, which is the first time. I think it's said on camera. That's the first time I've ever had someone walk in on me while bow hunting and like the la- on public land in the last like three years or four years. Um, yeah, same here. So that that was that was a uh, that was first. T- tells me that we were in an era that other people knew about. Uh, so, anyways, um, yeah, but yeah, we weren't as secretive as we thought. But yeah, I. Yeah, I kept looking at the footage in the tree stand, just watching it on the viewfinder, and I'm just like, I don't know what happened. At first, I'm like, you might have Texas heart shot her. Because like he said, she was she was slight quartering away. She was like walking out from behind this tree. Jacob gets to full draw, and I mean, right as he's about to shoot, she starts to turn. And she's already, by the time you know the release lets go, she's already turned, I mean, hard quartering away. And then... You know, the shot goes off, and she starts dropping, and she turns a little more, and she's straight, I mean, just straight facing away from him. And, I, like, it was hard to see on the footage, but I was like, I think you might have shot her, like, I mean, like, right in the butt. And, but but we could see the arrow down there, and I'm, like, glassing the arrow. I'm like, yeah, there's, I can see white hair down next to it. But I thought, I, I also thought you just grazed her, because you didn't see the the luminoc you didn't see the the thing like go into her you saw yeah, it, it go underneath her yeah it, it never on the footage it never like the the, the lighted knock never disappeared i mean you could constantly see it when it hits and like it hits the ground it never like went through anything yeah. so that's why that's why i thought it like grazed off her leg or something um but anyways so we so, you know it gets dark you know we start getting down packing all of our stuff up i'm like trying to pull up sands out of the tree andrew hits the ground walks over there and he's spending a lot more time over there than i thought he was or i thought he would if i just missed her like he's like walking around he's like walking like away kind of like where the deer ran and i'm like like i'm like what the heck's he doing like you know is there like a little bit of blood like what's going on and he leaves the arrow there doesn't pick up the arrow and he comes up he comes back and he's like dude you won't believe it i'm like what he's like I sort of, I think, I'm pretty sure the first thing you said was, I was like, you hit her. No, you're, you're like, she's dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you, you 
he's like, I think you unzipped her. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the phrase you use. And yeah. I was like, no, that's not good. Yeah, because I was like, I was like, she's dead. You hit her, and you're like, is it good? I was like, she's dead. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So explain, not... explain when you walked up to uh, when you walked up to the arrow. I'm um, explain like what you saw and like how that kind of unfolded. Yeah. So I, it was dark by the time I walked up to the arrow because we we went ahead and sat the full time because we didn't think. Which I mean, it's good that we did. Because, I mean, we weren't going to find her that night. We weren't going to, we probably would have found her, but we weren't going to go after her. Um, I walk over to the arrow and I get over there to it and I'm looking and I'm looking for the white hair I saw and I'm not seeing the white hair. I'm like, I thought there was white hair over here. And I'm looking at the arrow and there's just nothing on it. There's like a little bit of white hair on the arrow and then right to the left of the arrow, it, there was like stomach contents. Like it was straight up, like if you've ever, opened up the gut on a deer that's been eating a bunch of acorns that's what it was i mean it was just like nastiness and i was like oh my god and there's a bunch of it too like in a trail where she ran off like and a bunch like a lot like all of her stomach was on the ground uh it was pretty nasty so i was like oh this is not good and so i start looking around i'm like well let's see if there's any blood and i'm talking there was zero blood I mean, no blood at all. If you've ever pulled a, a dang hangnail off your finger and had it bleed a little bit, that's about the amount of blood that there was. I mean, just tiny little specks on some leaves, and I think there's a tiny little speck on the arrow, mm-hmm. but that was it. So, I mean, my first thought, I was like, she's not going to live. I mean, she's definitely dead. Uh, there's just so many unanswered questions at this point. So then I walked over there, told you. You went over there and looked at it. You were pretty upset about the whole situation and i was like you know we're gonna find her in the morning she's i mean she's dead absolutely dead there's absolutely no chance that she's alive uh so we back out and we go back home we put the sd card in the computer and we start looking at the footage and i zoom up to like 400 percent and we watch it frame by frame and Okay, basically what we thought the arrow did, and we were right when we got to her, uh, is basically the arrow sailed in between her legs but up underneath her, and kind of what me and Jacob think, well, what he said that night, and I think you ended up being exactly right, is basically probably like one blade of the broadhead kind of like gutted her, like ran along her stomach. It hit her sternum and then ricocheted into the ground because it was in the ground at a real shallow angle. And we were like, how did that happen? Uh, So that's pretty much what we thought happened. And on the video, you can see within the first step, you can see her guts hanging out. And so we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's not alive anymore. She's, She's definitely dead. So we go to sleep that night, wake up the next morning, uh, get a little breakfast in us and we were wanting to give it a lot of time just because the lack of blood because we're like you know her guts are opened up but if we did if there's no like serious bleeding she could live for a very very long time so we shot her at 2 30 and i mean we waited to go back out there until like nine o'clock the next morning uh, just out of fear that uh which we talk about this later in the episode with charles um a, a a deer that's hit like in the intestines can live a very long time. So we made sure to give her plenty of time. We get back out there, kind of reassess the situation. And uh, then we start, you know, taking up the trail. We're just going to do a grid search. 
Yeah, and that's when it got kind of like a horror movie. Um, oh, God. <laughs> so, again, guys, you know, if you watch the footage, like how we did, you can see how the arrow, it slides up underneath her. The knock never disappears. And you can see, once the knock is up underneath her, you can see the knock kick up. Uh, which I'm, I'm guessing is when it hit the sternum and it shot straight down into the ground. Um, and, and, and once we saw everything that was hanging out of her, we instantly thought, like, while we're tracking her, we're going to find some, something hanging on something because she ran through some thick stuff. And not 40 yards into the track job, Andrew kind of, like, swung low. I, I ran the trail that I thought she possibly went down, came to a spot and looked down, and there was pretty much all of her small intestines. Um, so again, definitely knew the deer was going to die, but I was still worried guys. You know, we got in there almost 18 hours after I shot the deer and I was still worried that she might still be alive. But after seeing all of that and understanding, you know, all the blood vessels that is attached to all the organs in there and all that stuff that's happening, you know, she's had, she's got to have some kind of internal bleeding for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, from there, you know, we kind of, kind of this body search. I mean, I kind of ran a trail. You kind of like ran blow the trail down there a little bit farther down the hill. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we were, we were looking at the map and there's, there's like a basically one Creek bottom right there that she could be in. And there's kind of this little pond at the head of it. And we were looking at the map. I'm like, dude, she's going to be laid right up somewhere in this bottom close to that pond. So like, like you said earlier, you kind of stayed high on top of the ridge, just looking for more like any blood or any more crap hanging off of limbs or anything like that. I went ahead and swung down low and, you know, with a gut shot deer like this, they don't die, you know, instantly. It takes them a while. So a lot of times, you know, they'll initially run off freaking out and then they'll hit a trail that they're familiar with and they'll follow that trail. So I was just basically walking through this thick stuff looking for nice, heavy trails. Um, I get down close to that pond that I was talking about, and sure enough, boom, I, I come across a heck of a trail, uh, like big, giant, heavy trail. And so I turn left and follow it down towards the creek, and I don't go 10 yards down that trail, and I see her laying up there in the bottom. Start whistling yeah. for Jacob. Yeah, and I was filming, actually, right when you – I don't know if you looked at the footage yet. Yeah, I did. But – I was I was actually filming myself talking about like how we were split up, kind of like covering some ground, just kind of glass and looking for a body, and, and it also rained that night, guys, uh, pretty heavily, and um, and also early that morning, and you started whistling. I'm like I'm like on camera. I was like, okay, either he's found her or he's found blood. He's found something, and I'm like, Let, let's see what happens. I ran down there, and you're like, I'm like, you're like, she's down here or something like that. I was like, there's no freaking way, and yep, there she was laying, dude. Uh, yeah. So that was that was impressive because I was really worried, guys. You know, and we talked to Charles about this. You know, I was thinking still like, you know, we need to get a dog for this just because of the issue. You know, gut shot deer. Uh, even after a rain, you know, the, a a dog, a good dog, can track that stench of the gut. You know, even after a pretty solid rain, and that's one reason. You know, we were talking about like, you know, maybe getting a dog, and you were like, no, nah, dude, you know, we should be able to find her. And dude, we didn't. I mean, it didn't take us twenty minutes to find that deer. Yeah, I mean, there's an important lesson there because in order for that to have happened, like us have found her so quick and so soon is we did a lot of things right after the shot, which was, you know, we didn't panic. We didn't get, you know, all fired up about it. Uh, we didn't freak out. We're like, let's just take a deep breath, go home and go to sleep because the, the deer's mortally wounded. It will die. 
absolutely will die. There's it will die. There's no chance that it'll live. And if we don't push it, it won't go far. And talking to these guys, you know, like Charles and others, uh, who have a lot of experience tracking gut shot deer, you know, most of them will tell you, yeah, that deer is going to run probably less than 200 yards and it's going to bed down and it's going to go to sleep and die as long as you don't mess with it, which was, I kind of had misconceptions about that because growing up, a lot of people are like, you hit it in the guts, it'll run 400 yards, which wasn't true at all. So, I mean, you know, that as soon as I saw the arrow, you know, the night before and saw the gut matter, I walked about 10 yards just looking to see if there's any blood. And then we did not go any farther than that, that night. So then we come back the next day based on like what we know about deer and, you know, what we know about deer that gut, that are gut shot, what they normally do. Uh, we just kind of use that knowledge in our favor and it paid off. I mean, a very yeah. quick recovery T- took maybe, maybe 30 minutes and that's being generous. And she went 135 yards according to Onyx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it definitely played out in our favor, which, which was great. And, you know, it was, I was just happy to be able to recover that deer after, you know, it, it went from, like, I had already told Jonathan and a couple other guys, you know, I'm like, dude, yeah, I missed a deer tonight before we actually had checked the arrow when we were up in the stand. I'm like, yeah, I, I shot missed a deer tonight. It went from what we thought was missing a deer to recovering the deer the next day that was dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's kind of amazing, you know, how fast something can change like that just by, you know, I mean, fractions of an inch, dude. You know, if that arrow, if that arrow was probably an inch low, inch lower than what it was, I don't think it would have even touched her. Um, so that's that's just you know kind of the crazy part with it, man. And but got to try out the uh, the new Mystery Ranch Pentler after uh, packing in my stands, which worked really well, which you got to try out. Yeah. And then uh, packing the deer out, um, absolutely, really do love that pack. Uh, so I'm excited about using that this fall. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, it, it was definitely an experience that was like the highs and the lows of bow hunting. Uh, you know, we had success. We went in there blind and, you know, we used like a balance. I mean, I'm writing an article right now for Alabama Outdoor News and in it I'm kind of talking about hunting theory versus hunting practice. Hunting theory being, you know, deer will walk through the saddle, deer will do this, deer will do that. And then you got hunting practice, which is going out there and, you know, getting on sign, actually hunting the deer. And this that that week was a good example of hunting theory versus hunting practice and how they work together and you balance them. Uh, and, you know, we were able to identify some areas on the map that looked good. And we went in and by process of elimination, got into the best area and ultimately had success. And that's what it's all about, staying mobile and getting in there and having success. And, you know, it, it wasn't the shot that, you know, you necessarily wanted to take. Like, nobody wants to hit a deer like that. And it was a little dough, but at the end of the day, we had fun. It was a great experience, and I'm glad it all happened. And uh, honestly, that's what deer hunting's all about, dude. We went out there, had fun, got it done, and now we got meat in the freezer. Yeah, went, turned from a, a blind sit to get some deer meat and also find a spot that's going to be an absolute dynamite uh spot in november so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's uh that's exciting but hey let's uh i also want to talk about real quick the uh giveaway we're going to be doing for this week uh which actually has to do with the youtube guys uh we're actually going to give away a brand new uh lone wolf alpha tech tree sand uh so we already gave away the alpha a couple weeks ago 
but this week we're actually going to be giving away an Alpha Tech, which is one of their it's it's Lone Wolf's um, commercial line that they have like kind of like some of your big box stores, and it's not cast aluminum, it's aluminum welded, but still pretty high quality stand guys. Uh, and retail on it, I believe, is one hundred and sixty dollars. Uh, but so we're gonna give away one of those guys, and I, whoever's gonna win it is gonna absolutely love it. But, but to be entered to win this one, it's gonna be a little bit different from what we've done in the past. This one is for our YouTube subscribers. So what we want you guys to do, we've already got a pretty good following so far on YouTube over the last couple of weeks of what we've been doing film-wise. But for you to get entered to win this Alpha Tech Tree stand, all you have to do is make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. And then the video that Andrew's about to drop in a couple days. Lone actually, Wolf video. Yeah, the Lone Wolf Stick Mod video. All you have to do is comment Alpha Tech in the comment section below to be entered the win. And then we'll pick somebody from that comment section after you subscribed, and that person will win the uh, stand. And we're just going to do this for a week long. It's not going to be a two-week long giveaway. It's going to be a week long. So the following week, guys, we will draw the winner and announce it on uh, next week's episode. Yep. So just make... So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and then comment on the Lone Wolf Stick Mod video, Alpha Tech. This Alpha Tech, and you'll be entered the win, guys. So again, we'll see how many people turn out for it. If ten people do it, then man, your chances are really good to win it. If a hundred people do it, man, you know you, you still get pretty good chances to win it. So yeah. guys, just make sure you get it done. Yeah, that that's uh, one thing I was about to say. People are notoriously lazy with giveaways. Like we've done a bunch of giveaways now, and. We have a lot of people who like do like two parts of the giveaway, but like don't don't do all three parts or something. And so, really, the pool is a lot smaller than you think it is on a lot of these. And plus, you know, on the on the YouTube channel and everything, probably won't get like thousands of people going to to go comment on that video. But if you do your due diligence and you go and you subscribe and you comment on that video, you will probably have a pretty dang good chance to win that stand and it's the stand or it it's the same type of stand that i've been using for a, like uh half a last season and all this season so far great stand uh it's not like they're like you said it's not their cast aluminum stuff it's like a kind of a regular tree stand but it's got all the bells and whistles of a lone wolf stand like with the platform adjustment system thing and uh the versa buttons and all that stuff it's High quality, I really enjoy it, and it's a lot better than my old lock-on. Exactly. So, guys, just make sure you go do that. Again, it's a great great product to be able to win, uh, so I know you are going to enjoy it. Also, guys, if you like the podcast, make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast if this is your first time listening to it. But also make sure you comment and maybe give us a rating on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube once again uh, to stay up to date with what we're doing. We're always constantly hunting, putting out new videos, putting out different content that you don't always see or hear, of course, on the podcast. So make sure you stay up to date with us, guys. Absolutely. And uh, looking down, this intro ran super long, and this interview also ran a little bit longer. So we're going to make this into a two-part series, for sure. Uh, so this is part one. Look for part two next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, okay. So with that being said, we'll do the giveaway on part two, which is going to be with Justin Miller, another great guy out of Tennessee that uh, has a phenomenal blood tracking dog that's had a unbelievable success, and he's got some great stuff, some great knowledge. He's going to talk to us about uh, on just you know how to stay 
how to be careful while tracking a deer and knowing when to call a guy with a dog out there to have your success rate a lot higher to find that buck that you might have shot. Uh, so anyways, awesome. Well, yeah, I'm excited. Maybe two-part series is going to be great because I think a lot of people can get a lot out of it. And it's going to really educate you know, the, the hunting public, as you could say, on what and when you should call a dog. Because a lot of guys don't even know about you know, calling somebody with a dog to come out to really help them find a deer. I mean, I didn't know that two years ago, dude. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. All right, let's toss it over. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. We're super excited uh, that we have an awesome episode for you guys, and it's going to be all about tracking deer uh, using dogs. And actually, we have on the phone right now uh, Charles Miller. Uh, actually, he's the guy that helped me track my doe from earlier this season. And uh, we're going to talk about him and his bloodhound, Dallas, on, you know, his technique on finding a lot of deer and then also, you know, some of these crazy hunts he's been on. But, you know, Charles, how are you doing, man? Doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Doing excellent. Doing great. And, again, we appreciate you having uh, having a little time for us this evening. And, Andrew, now how are you doing? I'm still kind of sick, but <laughs> uh, I'm kicking it. And even if I don't kick it, by God, I'm getting in a stand tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that cold front's pushing through Alabama, so uh, I'll be there. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Charles, you know, let's kind of jump straight into this. You know, kind of give the listeners uh, a little bit of background about yourself, you know, kind of like what you do for a living. First of all, where you live in, in Tennessee and kind of how you got uh, introduced and got involved with tracking using a dog. Okay. Uh, I mean, I live in Lebanon, Tennessee, That's which is – Middle Tennessee, outside of Nashville, a little east of Nashville, and uh, the honestly, the way I I got into you know, tracking tracking with a dog is um, first of all, I've lost a lot of deer. I've shot a bunch with a bow, and I've lost a bunch. But now, what made me get into this? My son, he was eight, I think he shot, and he was eight when he shot it. He shot a, about a hundred forty inch eight point, and I thought he hit it good. It kind of mule kicked, and it, and and I had one drop of blood. Um, I found another drop. We looked for this deer all day th- that, that next day. We left him overnight, looked for him all day the next day. Didn't have any luck. A friend of mine told me to call a dog in, so I called a guy. And um, he came out. He told me, he said, man, it's a 50-50 chance and all this stuff. And so we kind of walked around for like three hours in the middle of the night, 1 o'clock in the morning, looking for this deer that actually wasn't dead. We actually, I saw that deer several times after that. But he was telling me, you know, how many deer he's found with this dog and, and, uh, people call him and, and, and he's going all over the place and he's tracking and, uh, and, and he's telling me honestly the money he was making. And I was, and I thought to myself, I says, so cause he, I had to pay a fee for him to come. And then if he found it, there was a, an additional fee. Well, I asked him, I had to say, let me make sure you're telling me that you get to go look for deer. Whether you find it or not, you're going to get some money. And if you find it, you get more money. He said, yeah. And I said, let me ask you one more question. How many deer have you looked for? And he said, I don't know. Um, it's been in the hundreds. Some years are better. Some years are worse. And the numbers just started adding up in my mind because I knew what I was being charged. And I thought to myself, this, this right here might be an opportunity for me. So I come home and told the wife, hey, we getting a dog. And she said, what? <laughs> and, I, uh, and then, you know, six weeks later, I rode Alabama and got Dallas. Well, awesome. And I, I, first of all, I, I want to tell you, Dallas is a good-looking dog. I, I, I personally, before I saw Dallas, 
I've never been a fan of, of bloodhounds. I never thought they really were a good looking dog. Just because I was never a huge fan of all the wrinkles, big floppy ears. And Dallas is a clean cut looking dog. I mean, that dog is sharp, man. Uh, <laughs> along with his nose. I mean, he's talented. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, well, let's kind of, well, I was going to say, let's kind of jump into this. You know, you kind of went down, you got Dallas as a puppy. You know, what steps did you have to take to kind of get him, um, you know, either interested in tracking or, you know, what, did you have to do any kind of training? Like, what did you do to get to the point that you are now? Okay. Uh, um, I'm going to tell you there's two schools of thought on, on training dogs to track deer. I, I went, what I basically did was I found a guy online who trains um, shepherds and bloodhounds for um, the policemen, military, He's known throughout. He's he's done he does a lot of work, and he and at the time he was only his videos are mostly only bloodhounds and shepherds. So I knew that if you could get a bloodhound, and if you could train him based on what this guy was telling you to do, the only thing would be different is he's teaching these bloodhounds to track people, and all I had to do was let my dog know that we need to find these deer. So I learned everything. Basically, from I just used what he was using the manhunt that he was teaching these hounds to to apply to deer. And as far as Dallas went, I think I let Dallas have a couple of days off, and I immediately started off. I tell you, the easiest thing I did, I, I put a um, a treat. I give him a little treat, and he was a puppy. I mean, he was he wasn't even eight weeks old. I give him a treat, and when I give it to him, I use the word find it, and I would give it to him, and I'd say find it. Well, he was just munching up the treats, thinking no big deal. Well, I got to the point where I would sit him on the floor in front of him and tell him to find it. He'd just run right to it. And we went through that for a while, and I got to a point where I would throw him two or three feet away. He started looking for it. Well, when I and I would do that in the house, and then I would get him outside, and I would take some, some deer blood. I call it the juice. You'll hear guys saying, and saying that word. Now, they never use I don't think. I never heard it until I started saying the juice. I would take um, <laughs> a hot uh, blood. I would take it all, soak it. And, and put it in water, and and this, and I found out this is actually wrong. I would just use tap water, just regular water. I didn't know there was a difference between tap water. Uh, if you let tap water sit out, it'll become just regular water. I didn't know that, but anyway, so I would mix it all up. And what I would do is I would soak it. I would drop a drop on a treat. I'd put them in a little line. I'd get him outside. I'd say, find it. Well, he, you know, I put four or five because they tell you when you're teaching them, you want to make it. So it's easy for him. You want to don't be, don't give him turns and make him go up a hill and jump logs. He want you want him to find the treats, and you just keep telling him to find it, and he'll start figuring out here's a treat, and you put them close together so he can accomplish it. And then man, we just kept doing that and kept building on that, and then we got to where I'd start putting some curves in it, and then I would put uh, I'd have a, several treats at the end of the little trail, so he'd get to he'd have one 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 one, and then he'd get ten or you know and uh. And then I started substituting that for um, I, I made a tracking stick, and it was a big long four foot thing out of PVC pipe, and it was white. And I would put a foot in it. Well, anytime he would find whatever it was I was trying to get him to find, I would always make a big deal. Good boy, Dallas, that a boy, and I hug on him and love on him, and he just wagged his tail. And even right now, when he finds one, he'll start wagging his tail. If I don't even see the deer, I can look and tell you that he's found it because he'll be standing there wagging his tail, and he'll do it. <laughs> From now on, because he's that he knows he's found what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Now, you know that's something that's kind of fascinating. You know, a lot of guys trying to get started, 
you know, if they were interested in getting started, you know, with their own dog on how to train it, you know, whether or not they want to send it to a school, they want to have a dog that's, you know, a, a finished dog, which is going to be, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars for a finished dog, um, or, you know, they just want to do it themselves. So that's kind of interesting how you were able to do it yourself and have, you know, success like you've had so far with Dallas. But, you know, let's kind of jump straight into my track job. Uh, you know, kind of talk a little bit, you know, I'll kind of talk a little bit about what happened with the deer. You know, I was able to shoot a doe off the ground at six yards, uh, at, you know, quartering to me about 45 degree angle, um, shot was behind the shoulder and came out, uh, almost between the deer's legs, uh, just cause she was that close in the shot angle. Um, you know, we were, we lost blood, couldn't find blood until 50 yards of the track job. Once I find the arrow and the arrow pulled out of her. Um, and we found blood for about 30, 40 yards and it dried up. Um, and you know, we called you guys to come out, uh, you and Dallas and, you know, we're able to have you come out and I want you to kind of explain, uh, a little bit of the conditions that day, you know, it's kind of rainy and how that, you know, affects the dog on, on days like that. Uh, when it is, this is rainy and this kind of nasty conditions. Okay. Um, one of the things when you get a lot of rain, like like it's raining now, and like it was that day, the, the, first of all, that dog is not just smelling the, the blood. That that dog is smelt. It's, it's a scent pool, is what we call it. And because of in in, in the situation where your deer, there's a lot of deer out there. I think you guys have been out there looking for the deer. And what you what I wanted to do was instead of starting at the beginning of the where you, the way you knew the deer ran. I wanted to start, because it was, I mean, a couple hundred yards. I wanted to start, I said, if I can get, you know, 15 yards or so, of, we know this deer went this way, he could pick up on him. What happens is, is that when you have, um, when you have, when you look for a deer and you guys, you know, you spread out, whether it be one guy or 10 guys, and most that I did, I used to do it all the time. Me and my buddies go out and we'll look for a deer and we just walk around and look. Well, that scent pool, you get it on your shoes and your boots and all that stuff, and you walk it around in the woods. So for that dog, it's a puzzle. And But I knew that that deer, because that dog, it's one thing I didn't. I watched him, and I and he wouldn't go. He would, he went to the right. He wasn't even interested in going to the left. And But he, he right there at the edge of that bean field is where he was having problems figuring out which way. And then... I knew, I mean, I've hunted a long time. I was like, that deer didn't go backwards. That deer went to this bean field somewhere. I didn't think she crossed that water that was out there, but I knew mm-hmm. she went to that bean field. He was where he got kind of locked in, and he was working a scent, and he was moving the way slowly because all dogs attract. They'll have a certain way they walk, and you'll know when they're on it. And he was, he was on it, and all of a sudden he threw his head up, and he started going straight towards the fence row. And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, she turned, and she's down here in this fence row. But when we got down that fence row, he didn't want to go in that fence row. And I thought to myself, a hurt deer would have went right in that fence row. When he turned to the right and went through that, that little cut, I thought to myself, they walked this way. They had to. But I let him go because I wanted to see what And it ended up getting us back to the deer at. And, uh, and I thought, okay. Now, so we're back here. We're going back. that deer crossed that bean field. She's somewhere. If I can get him down of the the scent that she left crossing that bean field, um, I, we got a shot at finding him. And, and he he's trained to smell a dead deer. He doesn't. It doesn't have to be 
he had to see it. He, if we if that wind hits him in his nose, he will stop and his head will go up almost like a bird dog, and he'll walk straight to that down animal. And 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 you know we we were trying to get in a position to do that, and we were dealing with some pretty bad, you know, conditions. But the one good thing about all that water was is that the scent that you had was staying in one place because it was a, you know, it was a lake. If it was gushing water sitting on the side of a mountain and it was pouring, that made up because that scent rolls down that mountain. That dog may go down the hollow and then have to work his way back up as that scent starts to, I guess, starts to, because imagine if, you're, if, you're, if you have it and you, you, you put some water in the scent, it's going to make it go down, but it's going to have an up point. And, mm-hmm. and so that's the bad part about that. But on flat ground where you got something like what we had, I mean, if you, that deer's there, that wind hits that dog in the face. I mean, you, he can win them. And I've winded, I've, we winded a 155 up in Kentucky out in the middle of a bean field. I knew that deer went in the bean field because it's the only way. We went, that's the, the first where he first place he went was to the edge of that field. And I knew that deer went out of that big bean field. And it was a huge bean field. And we went around it once, but the wind wasn't right. The second time we come down it, that wind hit him just right. He turned 150 yards straight out in the middle of that field at that big buck lake. I mean, he, he's done it. He's been doing it since he was a puppy. I kind of taught him that. Um, I, actually, I didn't even, I don't know. I taught him to do it. But the first time he ever done it, I think somebody threw a roadkill on the side of the road. I was taking him for a walk out in the middle of the night. He started pulling me one way, and he pulls me over to these garbage bags, and we get over there, and it's a, it's a carcass in a the, in the, in the garbage bag. And I thought, well, that was odd. And, I mean, he's just got a knack for it. And, and, and all dogs that, that know they're looking for deer, they, they can win them. Yeah, and that's one thing, you know, we wanted to talk to you about because, you know, since we're having Justin on as well later in this episode is, you know, one thing that I think Dallas is really good is winding. And that's one thing you've talked about to me, too, about, you know, when we walked out there, you know, we were walking out with the wind in our face, walking to where the deer was shot at and kind of keeping the wind in our face. And you could see and you were telling me, you know, you know, when Dallas, he popped his head up like that, kind of like you said, like a bird dog, you know, he's getting a whiff of that deer and, you know, he'd be on the trail and then the wind would die down, you know, he'd be smelling around, the wind pick up again, he kind of do the same thing. Um, and that's one thing that, you know, we're, we kind of would like to talk to you about it. You know, when when you are using Dallas like that and letting him work an area, uh, you, you know, what factors allow for winding to be, I guess, uh, a, uh, a stronger strategy maybe sometimes? I know you talked about like a gut shot deer, uh, you know, that it's – you know, it's very effective and stuff like that. I mean, kind of, kind of break that down for us real quickly. Okay. I, the, the one time when that's all that, I, I mean, not all of Well, yeah, pretty much all I'm going to do. If you call me three days after you shot a buck, you gut hit a buck. It's been three days. You guys didn't find him. We're not tracking that. We're recovering that. So we're going to go out and I'm going to walk Dallas and I'm just trying to, it, we got to have some breeze, some kind of, some kind of wind. If we got any kind of wind, I'm going to look at my app on my phone and see which way that wind is blowing, and I'm going to get in that wind. And that dog, I'll just walk with him. Now, and and he'll, if, if, if there's a dead deer that hits his nose, he'll throw his head up. But, but, what, but what I've learned to do is that when I see him, they're in, the, in the real tracking world, they call those alerts. When mm-hmm. you see an animal, you see that dog, he's walking, 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 all of a sudden that head snaps to the left. That's a, that's a, a, a proximity alert if it's close. If it's real hard, it's like a proximity alert that tells him that I just smell what I'm looking for and it's close. Now, if you seem just kind of ease into it and he's got his nose up, 
it's it's probably coming from a long way away. And if I, I don't have, well, I probably got some video somewhere. If you you can see Dallas, he'll get close to one and he's winding. Uh, we may be tracking it, and then he'll get within 20, 30 yards, and he'll start running around with his head up, looking like, like I mean, standing on his tippy toes. And what he's really doing is he's got a big gush of that scent, and it's just swirling. He's like, oh my God, I, you know, I gotta find it. But um, anytime you an animal has, you know, once you get to 48 hours, you're probably just gonna have to try to win that animal because 48 hours is, even though bloodhounds are capable, it's been documented somewhere that they had that there was there was a there was a bloodhound that found a that tracked a an animal a tracked of some humans i think it was 313 hours which is about two weeks but now there was four people out in the desert so there was no other scent but they have the ability to do that but mm-hmm. when it comes to deer and you're hunting in a place where there's a lot of deer there's a lot of scent and there's deer i mean in the woods you're 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 not getting a week out. I mean, you can you're not tracking that deer a week from now. I just I don't believe that you that you can do it. You just you take them out there. You walk with them. You just grid kind of you know if you lost blood here, I'm gonna make sure I go 200 300 yards that way, 200 300 yards that way. Maybe go down 50 yards, do it back and forth. To, and that for that win, that dog has time. And then I watch him whenever he his nose if he turns that head a little bit and starts sticking that nose up, we're gonna walk over there. And see, because he's got a whip. He's not, you know, smelling donuts. He's he knows what he's looking for. And it's well, the only time. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, you know, that's that's one thing uh, kind of fascinating with Dallas. You know, I was very impressed with him while we were out there and kind of watching his reaction in certain areas. Uh, and again, I found that just really fascinating. You know, it, you know, that's one reason you got me wanting to get a bloodhound. It's because I've always wanted one myself, just to again track my own deer, and then you know, if, you know, friends and family be able to go out there and do the same thing. Um, but let, let's talk about some some of the the, uh, the do's and don'ts of blood tracking. Um, you know, that's one thing you kind of told me about with you know while we were out there, me and my buddy Nick trying to find that deer. Where we, you asked like you know where we had walked and this and that. You know, kind of going across, you know, that scent pool and, you know, where we might attract that scent. Uh, you know, talk about us real quick on, you know, if someone's going to call a dog out there or if you're just tracking a deer in general and you don't know if you should have a dog or not, you know, what are some of the do's and don'ts of tracking that deer? So if you do have to call a dog in, you know, you're having that that dog is going to have a lot higher uh, success rate at finding that scent and be able to get on that deer a lot quicker. The, the, the first thing that you ought to do is mark your first blood. Second thing is don't walk in the blood. Do not that's that's that that just makes it so hard for a dog because you're walking the scent through the woods. And and if you call ten of your buddies out there, don't all ten people walk in the blood and then you get to the end of the trail and ten people go in ten different directions. That dog's gonna have to figure out which ten of you guys or or eleven is not is, is the real the real deer. Um and you just I, I tell people, mark your blood. Um with something that you can identify, mark it. Um, and then, you know, I like to know what color it was. I asked them what what did the deer do when you shot him. There's a lot of different things, man, that, that variables. You made mention of, of, of bright red blood with bubbles. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's deceiving. You can shoot a deer in the leg, and you'll get bright red bubbles, bright, bright red blood with bubbles. You'll have it, and it'll be bright, and it'll be bubbly, and you'll think, man, I know I hit him in the lung, and you'll look for him for a week. Um, it, 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 
just happens, and it won't stop bleeding. If you get bright red blood from a lung, a lung hit, that deer is going to be dead. He's not going to be five miles away unless you one lunged him. And I'll be real honest with you, and you can ask a lot of guys, I've, they say that a deer can live with one lung. I've, I've killed a lot in my life. I've tracked a bunch of them. I've never tracked a deer and had him cut open and saw one lung in there, and the other one was black. But now, but there are people that argue those deer can do it. I know tons of trackers who have got a lot more experience than me. They'll tell you a one lung deer, he can just live. Um, so I'm not going to discount. The, um, man, and then just kind of being smart about it. I tell people when they call me, I'm like, listen, if you want to go look, uh, one, when you explain this shot to me, I'm going to tell you, hey, don't go out there walking around with all your buddies and, and, and monkeying up the trail for somebody. If that deer is something you want to recover, you want to make it – picture this. If you had a crime scene and you just had, you know, a person was bleeding right here in one room by, by itself, you, you pretty could go in and say, okay, that, per, that person walked this way and it jumped the fence and we know which way it went. But if you take that same crime scene and you throw 10 other people's blood in it and spread it all over the place, the detective's going to be there all day trying to figure out which way it actually went. And the deer is mm-hmm. the same way. So you just kind of just, – just smart. I mean, just – I mean, I've tracked deer without having a, a dog, and I know there's a lot of people who think they can out-track a dog. But I just – you don't don't walk in it. If you're going to use a dog, you want to make the recovery as, as easy and as quick as possible. And by doing that, you I mean, to do that, you want to just – man, I'm going to stay off to the side of it. Um, when it gets spotty, when you're when, – I tell people when they call me, I say, listen, if you're tracking a deer that you shot, when that when you can tell that bird is starting to wean, you need to go home. Call a tracker, ask them what they think, whether you pay them to come out or they come out for free or whatever the case may be, run it by them. Because if that blood's starting to peter out, you're not finding that deer tonight anyway. So you may as well go home, relax, play it all back, make sure you mark it. If you've got your arrow, hey, you want to have that arrow. Um, you want to look at it. You want to be able to describe it. You got to. You know, a lot of people, they forget about stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've been out in the woods, and they don't even know where the deer went in the woods at. Well, they'll tell me, oh, it went in the woods right there, and I'm looking at this bloodhound. The bloodhound's 15 yards over there. Talking about, well, he said he went in that way. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's amazing, some of this stuff, because we get excited, and we don't and we don't pay attention. We think we see certain things. And, I mean, anything can happen. When, you, when you're throwing an arrow at an animal, that anything can happen. And I'm telling you right now, deer are some of the toughest animals you will ever, ever hunt. They can take it, and and arrows have ways of just not doing what we want them to do. So, I mean, you just just try to be smart and, you know, and, and just don't make it difficult. Just use some common sense. I mean, because it's, it's, it's not that hard. If, it's, if it runs down through there and you can't, you're not smelling me. So if you don't see the blood, I mean, it's right now, it, everybody's got an opportunity to have a dog. You can mm-hmm. stop five dogs anywhere if you look if you knew to look and i didn't know to look three years ago somebody else told me and i was like well whoa and it opened my eyes to it but with the amount of money that people spend on everything that they everything that's involved in bow hunting or deer hunting in general it only makes sense that you would have a dog person that you could call because that's a resource that's going to help you you know get the animal that you're hunting and, and, I mean, there's guys that got cameras that, that send pictures to their cell phone. 
I've, I've tracked for them. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it just makes sense, you know, and get somebody who, and I'll tell you this, I hate to say it, but I'm going to tell you, if, if you shoot, if I shoot a big deer, if I call you and you tell me, man, I got a dog that's in training, man, I'll bring it out there. I, I don't want you to practice on my deer. I just don't want <laughs> that you can be, it doesn't make it. It's hard for me to believe that you're, you don't even have the confidence in this dog enough to tell me, Hey, my dog is good. I can find it. Or we'll walk five miles. And I tell people all the time, it's not pretty, but nobody's going to outwalk me. I keep a track of every, every track we go on. I can show you five, six, three, four miles that we covered. I can show you where we've been. So, you know, where we've been and that when I can tell you, if you want to bring somebody else out there, you can tell them they don't have to look here because we covered this four miles. And, and, and so it's, it's just, get, if you're going to use a dog, there's a bunch of people, man, that's, that's got dogs that, that are confident in their dogs and their dogs have found deer. Um, get somebody that's going to work hard for you, get a dog, somebody who's got bleeds in their dog and, and, and go out there and, you know, and, and just try not to mess the trail up so they can, they can try to find, yeah, exactly, Charles. And that's one thing I really liked about you and your personality. I mean, you're a guy, you know, you're all about, like, not quitting. You know, we're going to find this deer one way or the other. You know, we're going to find them either dead or alive, uh, but we're going to find them and figure out what happened. Um, and another thing you said that, you know, we you had talked to me about, you know, the day we met when we were tracking my deer is, you know, it makes perfect sense. You know, guys are spending so much money on gear and, you know, traveling expenses, gas, you know, hotel, if you're especially if you're doing out-of-state hunt or doing something like that, you know, on hunting – you know, it just makes sense to be able to have somebody or have some people in the back pocket you can call with a dog to come in to help recover a deer. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's just another added benefit that you can have to your lineup to help you have a higher success rate on recovering a deer. Because I've lost I've lost plenty of deer uh, while hunting with with archery equipment that I should have called dogs in on. And it, again, at the time, you know, being almost ten years ago. You know, I didn't realize that was a thing. I didn't realize there was these blood trailing networks, like the Tennessee blood trailing network, the Alabama blood trailing network, the Mississippi blood trailing network, and stuff like that. And if I would have known that, I could have, you know, I could have recovered, you know, a few bucks I've, I've wounded in the past and, you know, a couple other deer as well. So it's just stuff like that. You know, this is one reason we're doing this podcast uh, for this episode is to kind of educate people on that. But, you know, one thing I want you to talk about real quick is, uh, you know, what are some of the shots that you've seen from guys explaining to you that are some of the more common shots in, you know, your shot placements? And how do you go about, you know, waiting or trailing that deer? You know, talking about like gut shots, if they think it was a liver, a one lung, a leg, you know, to kind of talk about some of those different scenarios and, you know, how does that affect you when you're tracking that deer? Okay. Um, well, obviously, I mean, what a tracker wants is is a, a gut hit, a liver hit. I mean, those are dead deer. Um, lung hits, you don't get too many calls on lung hits because they, they actually find them. But there are situations where, you know, you you, you, you may go in through the the, the chest, like kind of how you shot that doe. Imagine mm-hmm. if you, you go in through the chest and get a lung and that deer be running downhill. I mean, some deer can run a long way and you just won't get blood. Um but, you know, if you call me and tell me, hey, I shot this deer in the chest, and this, and it broke off in his chest, that you, you put a broadhead in that deer's lung. We're, that deer's not far, and by far, I mean, he's 100, maybe 150 yards away. Uh, we don't, 
I can come out in three hours. We'll find that deer. I, if I can get there in two, we can find it. A gut hit deer, if you shoot him in the evening time, I'm going to tell you, man, I'll get there at 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. And hopefully he's dead. But if he's not dead, he'll be weak enough at that hour. I mean, if you give him 12 hours, 15 hours, he'll be weak enough that we'll, when we jump him, he's, he'll let that dog get close to him so I can tell you, hey, we jumped that deer. That dog got five feet from that deer before he jumped up. That deer's going to be dead and it won't be long. The same thing with a liver. Oh, livers, you know, I got guys that tell you, man, I like to wait 10 hours or eight hours. I say at least six, at least six. And that's a dark blood, a real dark blood. It's a liver. Um, yeah, obviously, a uh, stomach, you know what that smells like. It's, you know, just smells like stomach. I mean, it's bile and stuff. And um, leg hit, yeah, that's the worst one. Shoulder hits are horrible. The recovery rate on a, on a shoulder hit there, uh, Per one of my friends is about 10%. He tells me all the time, he says, you got about 10% chance of finding that shoulder hit deer. And I'm like, man, I know it. But a hunter doesn't know that. You know, I, I've had guys, I had a guy, I'll never forget this, guy shot a deer in Kentucky with a 300 Ultra Mag at 15 yards on purpose in his shoulder. He had one drop of blood, and we never found it. Mm-hmm. Never found it. The deer, wow. the deer went bottom and went up the side of a hill and went down the hill, across a creek, across a burn, and into the woods. I said, that deer ain't dead. I don't know what you hit him with. He said, I shot him right in the shoulder. I said, what did he do? He said, he hit the ground, and he jumped up and took off. I said, well, you need to change guns, change bullets. because you." St-. And then I asked him, I said, why did you shoot that deer in the shoulder? That's where I always shoot him. The kill zone is about the size of a baby suitcase. If you hit that deer behind his shoulder, you got a carry bag, size target. Don't try to heart shoot a deer. Shoot him in his lungs, you'll kill him. Shoot him in his stomach, you'll kill him. You shoot him in his liver, he, he, we're going to find him. Shoulder hits are horrible. High back hit, you, you never find them. You can high, I've been on them, I go on them all the time. Those high back hits, the guys tell you, well, I know I got it down in there. I'm going to tell you something. That deer's got a back strap on his back, on both sides of his spine. And on that, that back strap sits on a, I'm going to call it a plate where the ribs come down at. It's a mm-hmm. it's a plate right there. Well, if when when that deer when you shoot that deer with that broadhead with that arrow that boat whatever it is, you don't know that that went through that plate and got into his lungs or his his his, his stomach. It, and from and with him running through the woods, you can hit that back strap and that broadhead can just deflect up a little bit and that broadhead that whole arrow can be along parallel with his spine or off to the side of his vital. And we, you never find that deer. Nobody, I promise you, you can ask any tracker, how many deer they done find been shot in the back with an arrow? They're going to tell you not very many. And the same thing's going to have that back, that chest, shooting them, shooting them in the brisket. I had a guy shoot one with a raven crossbow. He said, I know I, I, I know that deer's dead. I said, there's no way. If you, if you shoot a deer in the neck, there's two things going to happen. You're either going to find him or you're not going to find him. Period. He's going to be dead within 50 yards, or or you're you just you're going for a walk in the woods because there's only thing in his neck that you can hit him and kill him with is that esophagus or that big artery running down through there. And if you hit that big artery, he is going to bleed like somebody cut a water hose on. If uh, and if you hit him in that esophagus, he's just going he'll suffocate, he'll choke, and he won't go far. Anything other than that, you can kiss that goodbye. That they don't they don't die from that. But people. People, I mean, the people say all this, that, now. I'm just telling you, I've followed a lot of deer. 
in the last three years, and I'm telling you right now, there's those kind of hits are 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 not very good, and the recovery rate on them is is, is bad. But now, I will tell you this: I found one up in uh, it was in uh, Pleasant View, I think, Tennessee. A guy shot him crossbow right in the pocket. The deer. He, he, I don't know why he did it, but he he said he broke down and he was running like it, like his front end, like his legs were broke. He plowed out of the bean field, went into a, a, a finger of woods, and they didn't, they lost him. The guy didn't go look for him. They rode around with the little gator, but they didn't walk. They called me out there. We get out there about 16 hours later. He takes me to the where the shot took place, and you could see the deer plow how he plowed through the beans. That dog just started. I mean, I don't even have to tell Dallas to find it now. He'll just start walking. He knows what we're doing. He knows why we're here. He starts walking. He says, he on him. I said, well, I mean, he's walking down the trail. That deer just went. He, he gets to the where the beans and the and the, and the the woods start. He goes right. He's like, he didn't go that way. He goes left. He didn't go that way. He goes right in the woods. And the finger, it's just a little finger of woods, and it's probably about 15 yards wide. He walks right through those woods. He gets to the beans again. He checks right. He smells every one of those 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 beans. Within about a little, little um, about ten feet, he just starts putting his nose on them, and he turns left. We walk down there about. Well, we turned left. I probably took ten steps, and the deer was laying dead right there. The guy said, "We drove by there five times last night. I can't believe that deer was there." I said, "Well, that deer wasn't dead last night. The broadhead went behind the deer's. It went in the pocket, and it never went in the deer's body cavity. It cut the inside of that deer's leg." And that vein in there, and that deer laid there. He went in. He was in that finger. When they were looking for him, he was just sitting in there looking at them. But because they never got off the four wheeler side by side, and he laid right there and bled to death. And it never went. And that's a, a prime example. If you don't mess with them, they don't go far. Mm-hmm. And if they know you don't, them, they'll just sit there. And 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 in that particular case, bleed out. But that's rare. That don't. That won't happen. That won't happen. I'm not going 200 more tracks. That won't happen again. Yeah, and that's uh that that's kind of something that we notice as in you know if you don't push a deer and I think you told me like a gut shot deer normally doesn't go that far, um uh, just because you know they're hurting so bad you know they're just they're not going you know they're not going to be running for three you know two three four hundred yards unless you push them and that's one thing that we decided the deer that I shot um this past weekend it, it was a, a, probably one of the worst shots I ever took on a deer just because she spun on the arrow. And uh, we know we backed out. It was a straight intestine gut shot, and we backed out. And we found her the next morning, you know, 135 yards. And again, if we would have pushed in there, I'm sure we would have pushed that deer up, and then you know would have needed to get a dog in there, or, you know, just to try to recover that deer. Um, but Charles, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, you know, just briefly kind of talk to us about this. I'm sure we'll have you on later on this uh, this fall, uh, especially if we have some other uh, some other track jobs that we are kind of involved with you on talking about some of that, but. You know, how can people get in touch with you? I know, you, you know, we talked before we started recording that, you know, you don't mind traveling at all. You know, you've done a couple five-hour-plus five hour trips. Uh, so if someone wants to have you and Dallas come down or come up, uh, depending on what state they're in, uh, for a track job, you know, how can someone get in touch with you? Man, I got a, um, I have a uh, Facebook page. It's Miller's Deer Recovery Service. Um, you can that's the only that's really the easiest way to get a hold of me but looking on there my phone number's on there you can call me um text me you can email me if you had to um and just like i don't mind going i go i go a lot of places i mean i've i've five six hours has been the farthest that i've traveled um but i mean it, for a trophy animal 
a, a person in most cases you can't find it anyway. So if you if you you got a gut shot there and I tell you, hey, I'll be there in the morning. Well, I mean, time's on our side anyway. So yeah, just somebody just need to you know just pick up the phone and dial my number and um and I'll we'll talk and we'll figure out a time for me to meet you. And again, your Facebook page is Miller's Deer Recovery Service. Is that correct? Miller's Deer Recovery Service on Facebook. All right, got um, and, and I, I I have a YouTube page. I don't I don't post none I don't post any of my tracking stuff on there, but like all of my videos of me actually training Dallas are on my YouTube page. And my and if you just uh looked up Dallas the Bloodhound on YouTube, you'd pull up I don't know, I probably got thirty videos on there of me actually training him and you can see how you know, how I did it. All right, guys. Well, any of our listeners out there, if if you're in the Tennessee, especially Tennessee, Kentucky area, uh, North Alabama, North Georgia, North Carolina, again, give Charles a give Charles a call, dude. I mean, he did a phenomenal job with me, and I would highly recommend him. Uh, so, Charles, we appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, definitely we'll stay in touch. And uh, good luck this fall with all your track jobs. Hey, thank you, guys, man. I really appreciate it. Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.